As I say every Sunday, I'm Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here, and it is our joy and honor and privilege to have you worshiping with us today. Um, we often say here at Spring Hill, we are one church worshiping in two locations, one here in the Bozeman site and one out at our Bridger Mountains, and we exist all for the purpose of creating authentic community in Christ. And the picture that that looks like for us, the, the image that we have in mind is you finding your home here at Spring Hill. And uh, speaking of home and family and taking care of one another, I don't typically call people out from the pulpit, but uh, I'm going to call out Chris Van Gelder this morning. Chris, it's really good to have you in worship with us this morning. For, uh, for those of you that don't know, Chris just went through big boy surgery, as I call it, up in Billings, and um, um, he's back recovering for a months long, multiple months long recovery. And brother, I, I, I dare say it's nothing short of a miracle you're, you're here this morning, so thanks for being with us. Um, we're in the middle of this series on John's gospel um, that, that actually it seems to keep getting more and more intense. It's good stuff. Last week we opened up to uh, to this 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 moment where uh, where these these Jewish believers uh, they came to find faith in Jesus Christ. It was kind of this celebratory moment with with Jesus and these people. Um, but very quickly we find out their faith was somewhat fickle. Uh, as Jesus shared with them, he said, uh, "If you abide in the truth, the truth will set you free." And these words we learned last week to these, these Jewish believers, um, they didn't sit well. So this morning we open up to part two now of this, this dialogue between Jesus and these, these believers. And uh, we're going to open our Bibles to John's uh, gospel, chapter 8. We're going to read verses 34 to 59. It's a doozy, but I promise we're going to step into some good drama uh, this morning. So let me pray for us, ask that God would uh, help us hear what he would have for us, and then we'll jump in. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we are uh, living distracted lives. Lord, it has been a distracting week. God, from headlines, Lord, to the, the headlines of our own lives, God, you have been with us every step of the way, and yet so often, God, we, we have to admit we, we fail to see you. We struggle to look for you. God, every day we should wake up and, and declare your praise that this was the day that you have made and yet we, we wake up instead with, with all the things that are on our minds and all the things that have to be done and yet you have called us human beings, not human doings. So Lord, would you help us just in these next few moments to be. Lord, quiet our hearts and help us to be still and to know that you are God. And Lord, we pray if you would have a word for us by your Holy Spirit this morning that would change us. God, we confess this, this word that we read is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So God, we pray, God, change us, shape us, make us, mold us into the people you have called us to be. And all God's people said, amen, amen. So open with me. We're going to read John's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 34, now to 59. Buckle up. You ready? So Jesus answered this crowd, Truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. 
The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works that Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is the liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The, the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. That I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. All right, take a deep breath with me. That was a doozy, right? Let me just ask this uh, to get us started this morning. Just think with me about this. I want you to tell me, think in your head about the people who you hang out with. Describe them in your head for me. And now I want you to think about this. If you were to tell me about those people, what would that tell me about you? Here's why I asked. They say that opposites attract, right? But recent studies have actually proved the contrary. In fact, they say that those who we hang out with actually reflect who we are. We like to hang out with people who think and talk and act like we do. Do we not? Just keep that friend group in your mind. This phenomenon, they say it begins in grade school. In our mid-adolescence, we, we begin to identify ourselves with people who have like-minded interests. In fact, let me just ask you, go back to your high school days. I know that's a dangerous question for some of us. But think about this. Who was your friend group? Was it the athletes? 
The high achievers, the partiers, you don't have to raise your hand. The theater, the choir, the band, whoever it was, we were drawn to those friend groups because our, our commonalities begin to influence one another and who we are. Last year at the University of Illinois, they found that the average person can look at a video of a complete stranger in high school and they can accurately identify their friend group within seven seconds. Think about that. It's human nature, right? We, we like boxes so much so that even before meeting someone, we've already put them in a box that we believe they belong in. Categories are how we make sense of the world around us, right? And growing up, the boxes are permeable. We know this. You can move from one box to another with pretty, pretty little effort. The quarterback can leave the team at halftime to play in the band or the, the class president, they join on stage for the play. But as we get older, the way by which we see one another and the people who we associate with becomes, we'll say, more entrenched. We no longer gather just by common talent or interest, but now we define our boxes by ideologies and worldviews. And the more that we hang out with the people in our box, the more ingrained and reinforced we become in who we are, for better or for worse. In most cultures, this is the same case. Whatever the box, it comes with its own labels. Those labels set us apart from those other people who are living in their other boxes. And each box brings its own assumptions, right? We believe that our box has all the right answers and that if everyone else would just get in my box, the world would finally be right. In some cases, this proves to be true, right? I mean, as, as followers of Christ, we, we want everybody in our box called Spring Hill Church. We, we believe Jesus is the answer. But here's what I want us to focus on this morning. Sometimes the boxes that we hang out in and the people who reinforce our worldviews might actually make us blind to what Jesus is doing right in front of us. In the scriptures this morning, there was this gathering of new believers, right? They had been listening to Jesus' teaching for some time. Verse 30, if you have your Bibles open, he says, As he was teaching, they began to put their faith in him. These children of Abraham begin to believe things are off to a great start, but then Jesus begins teaching these words that don't fit into the box of their worldview. And so they turn on him. These people were so entrenched that they could not see Jesus for who he was. We learned last week that for a moment, these Jewish converts were hanging on every word of Christ. He told them, he said, if you follow my word, you are living the truth and the truth will set you free. Anybody see a problem with those words? If you follow my words, if you abide in me, you will have the truth and the truth will set you free. That sounds good, yep. Well, from our perspective, thousands of years later, as we sit in our own box at church on Sunday morning, those words are encouraging and comforting, right? But to these original recipients, these children of Abraham sitting in their own box, these words were offensive. They were angering. They were fighting words. Jesus had just told these Jewish believers they were slaves, this would have been what was running around in their heads. Who is this man to tell me I'm not free? My father is Abraham. And by his inheritance, the people living in my box will always be free. See, we have to remember something this morning. God's people's story, Israel's story was all about slavery and liberation. 
In fact, the main part of, of their history was the story of Exodus when God led his people to deliverance out of the land of Egypt from slavery into freedom. God raises up this leader, Moses, and sets his people free. Just imagine what it would be like for a minute if someone were to walk up to you on the 4th of July and douse your fireworks with water. And as the kids were crying in the background, they had the audacity to tell you, you shouldn't be celebrating, you're not free. How would you respond? Well, those would be fighting words, right? We would think this is a free country. We're a people of freedom. Our founding fathers fought for that freedom. We live and die by that freedom. Hmm. These new believers, they looked on Jesus' words and they couldn't stand him. They couldn't handle what he was saying right in front of them. From their box and their minds, no way could Jesus Christ be the one that brought them freedom. They already have Abraham. We've already been set free. And from their cardboard box, everyone they knew and their entire identity was fixed on that reality. They believed wholeheartedly they were a people of freedom. They couldn't see the slavery of their own sin. Years ago, a foreman on a construction crew was tasked with a road project up in the Pennsylvania mountains. And each morning on his commute, he would drive by this young boy who would often be fishing on the side of the road. He'd always slow down to get the fishing report for the day. One morning, he asked this boy if the, the fish were biting. And he got this really strange reply. The, the boy replied, he said, the fish aren't biting, but the worms sure are. A few minutes down the road, he stopped to get gas and he jokingly shared the statement with the attendant. And then he saw the horror in her eyes. She said, wait a second, earthworms don't bite. They raced back to the lake, called 911, and sure enough, the boy had been bitten by the most venomous of baby snakes, rattlers. What would you do if you saw a boy who thought his poisonous snakes were harmless worms? You'd fight, right? I mean, with everything in your being, you would try to get those false worms from their hands, right? You would do everything in your power to get him to see the errors of his ways. In our lesson this morning, Jesus goes full throttle. You saw the conflict. And the ironic part about this argument between Jesus and these children of Abraham is in some ways they were right, right? To be a follower of Abraham was to ultimately be set free. God made that promise but only at the culmination of freedom that was Christ. Jesus has come to set his people free for an eternity, right? But instead, they reject him outright. In fact, look at this in Romans 1.16. Jesus said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes. Who comes first? The Jews, then to the Gentiles. Jesus had come first for God's people, but it's clear they're not following they're not following Abraham. They're following a much more venomous leader and they're so entrenched they don't even see it. Watch how this plays out. Look at this in verse 39. If he says, if you were children of Abraham, you would be doing the works that Abraham did, but instead you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, this is not what Abraham did. Verse 41, they said, we're anything but illegitimate children. We have one father and that father is God. Now watch how this argument explodes. 
Jesus says, if God was your father, you would love me, for I came from God. Why do you not understand what I'm saying to you? It's because you cannot bear to hear my words. You become so stuck in the box of your own assumptions that you can't even begin to listen to what I'm saying. And now here comes the indictment. Look at this in verse 44. Jesus tells them, you are of your father, the devil. Can you hear the rattle? I mean, consider what those in Abraham's box must have thought in that moment, right? You called my father, what? See, they think they're fishing with worms. They're, now they're really confused. But Jesus isn't calling Abraham the devil. He was telling them this entire time, you thought you were children of Abraham, but your works prove you don't believe. And therefore the father that you cling to is not Abraham and it's certainly not God. It's the evil one. You know, there's always been a, a unique connection between fathers and sons, right? Same with, with mothers and daughters. And we've, as a culture, we've come up with really popular phrases to describe and explain this phenomenon. We say things like, like father, like son. He's a chip off the old block. The apple never falls from the, falls far from the tree. You are your mother's daughter. You're cut from the same cloth. No, Jesus says, you can't be children of Abraham. No, 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 because Abraham is worshiping me. You want to kill me. One minute, this gathering of supposed new believers are infatuated with Jesus. And the next minute, he's stolen all of their assumptions and taken away their traditions. He's claimed their lives are enslaved to sin. And now they want him dead. Jesus says, you got the wrong father. And now he goes on a tear. He says, let me tell you about this father. He was a murderer from the beginning. Look at this in verse 44. He says, when he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. In youth group, when I was a youth pastor, the kids always used to say things like, I hate this. I hate this, this, this meal or I hate. And I'd always say to them, I'd say, Hate is a very special word. It should only be reserved for people like Satan. Do you see that the righteous anger come out as Jesus talking about this man? When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and a father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. Here's the thought, and it's a bit controversial, but I feel like God's word would have us ask it this morning. What if the people we surrounded ourselves with and some of the ideologies we become entrenched in were actually the work of someone other than Christ? Is that possible? What if from our worldview, we had all the answers right in our hands, but we were actually being misled by the work of the enemy? Now, right now, if you're like me, you're thinking, no way, Ryan. I've got it all figured out. I've been on the surf for quite a while. All my friends are Christians. We, we have the truth. But let's admit it, we're living in confusing days, right? This has been a, another confusing week in our, in our country. The enemy of this, this world, he's working overtime. His goal is to water down the truth, water down the gospel, to ask the same question Adam and Eve asked, were asked, which was what? Did God really say that? I mean, do you really have to abide by that? Is that really true? Certainly not. And from our convenient boxes, if we're not careful, we could find ourselves and in our own lives, living in our boxes entrenched. 
Not with Christ, but with something or someone we thought was Christ. You know, the entire aim of social media is to reinforce our positions, right? We know this. I'm just reminding us of this. The algorithms, they know what you click on. They know where you slow scroll. They know where you ignore. They know how long you stay on one screen or the next. And over time, a profile is created with your name on it, a box just for you. And by that profile, you are intentionally fed more and more and more of what you like. And before you know it, the only worldview you can see is your own. Now, maybe your box is right, but what if it's wrong? In the early church back in the city of Corinth, a, a dispute broke out regarding what leader people should be following in the church. They began uh, identifying themselves not by Christ, but by people and, and movements. And the trenches got so deep-rooted in the fellowship, it was tearing the body to pieces. Look at how this plays out. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of Christ, that you all agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some of you from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another one says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Hear me out. I'm not saying that truth doesn't matter. I'm not saying that it's not important to take a stand and to stand firm in what we believe to be true and right. What I am suggesting this morning is that when we stand firm, we should do so on our knees with our eyes fixed on the cross. I remember a professor of mine, when he'd find himself in a debate with a student, he'd say, I'm going to reside right here with this conviction unless and until God's word shows me otherwise. It's a good place to be. See, but Christ brings these really painful words to this overconfident crowd. He says, whoever is of God hears the words of God, but you don't hear them because you are not of God. Jesus told these heirs of Abraham, you failed the litmus test of faith. You say you believe, but those who follow the truth are set free. And you're so caught up in your righteousness, you won't hear the words I have for you that you're enslaved in sin. So here's a question for us this week. Whose words have you been following? Who are you listening to? What, what headlines are you scrolling through? What boxes do you dwell in? And honestly, ask yourself this question. Where might the enemy be at work? And more importantly, where is Jesus in the midst of all this? And what might he be teaching me that maybe I've been hesitant to hear and see? See, this morning's lesson, Jesus gets in some of the most confrontational moments in all of the gospel. You know why? Because he loves these people, right? He came to earth for these people. He came to die for these people. John's entire gospel was written, why? So that you might believe and that in believing you might find life in Jesus' name. But instead, these people are sitting in their entrenched boxes, they're so convinced that Jesus is the one who's wrong, so much so that they actually believe Jesus Christ had a demon. Can you imagine? And if you look around at our world today, I'd say the tactics are still the same. We take the people who are in the other box and immediately we make them the enemy. That settles it. You can't be right. You have the demon. You are the one that's wrong. But let me paint us a quick reminder. 
the people in those other boxes, particularly if they don't have Jesus in them, they're not the enemy. They're the mission field. Years ago, there was a story published of two hikers along the, the Pacific Coast Trail up in the Northwest. Their names were Nancy and Katerina. Katerina was an avid hiker. She had hiked nearly 2,500 miles from the Mexican border all the way up north. Nancy was a local. She had gone out for a day hike, and somewhere along the trail, Nancy and Katerina had crossed paths. Well, it was late fall, and, and, um, and at this point, um, Nancy noticed that Katerina was without any snow gear. And so as they made their small talk, Nancy pointed out, you know, you know the seasons are changing, right? Snow is on its way. You're a long way from the Mexican border up here. Katerina assured her she was, she was good. Nancy, she made her way back home and Katerina moved on on the trail until two days later, they declared a winter storm. Nancy said that night she couldn't sleep and the next day she knew she had to do something. So she called the sheriff and Nancy jumped in with a search and rescue. They went out into this blizzard to find the needle in the haystack. Meanwhile, Katerina was so lost in this whiteout, she actually began to prepare herself to die. She started writing notes of apology and farewell to her loved ones and her phone. They said that when search and rescue found her, she was so lost in her hypothermic state, she actually fought just to stay out of the helicopter. See, these people of Abraham, right, they refused to hear the word of God, to heed the warning. And yet Jesus loved them enough to chase after them anyway with the gospel, to fight for them. Jesus says, don't you see, before Abraham was, I am. Look at this up on the screens. Before Abraham was, I am. Long before that man was born, I'm the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. And the promise that I made to him is now fulfilled in me, but you don't see it. And with emotion at an all-time high from their fortified box, they picked up their stones to throw at the very one who was there to save them. This week, here's my encouragement for us. We should think really prayerfully about who it is that influences our thoughts. And we should ask, are they pointing me toward or away from Christ? As Donald Williams at Vineyard's Church once said, the heretical number is two. Jesus plus anything is a lie. You know, the hard truth is that this world is ripe with agendas that, that are hidden by the enemies. We, we live in a time when the church is influenced far too much by the world around us. And as we sit in our entrance boxes, we have it backwards, friends. We need to be a people who are influencing this world for Christ. Let me pray for us and ask God to help us do that. Lord, we heard these words that, that you have the truth and that if we abide in your truth, if we abide in you, we will have the truth and the truth will set us free. And yet, God, we know so often it's, it's so much easier to, to let our eyes be distracted. Lord, away from the truths of your gospel, away from your word, away from community together in Christ and towards the things of this world. Lord, we confess, we, 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 we find it easy to follow those leaders Lord, maybe we wake up and the first thing we do in the morning is read a blog or check the news or, or turn on the headlines, God. And yet, really where we should first reside is with you.
God, but we confess we don't pick it up enough. We don't look at your word enough. God, it sits on our, on our shelves and collects dust. So Lord, we pray this morning, would you help us to hear the longing in your voice? God, as those, those children of Abraham were not clinging to, to fish and worms, they were clinging to something far more deadly. And Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, would you protect us from, from moving our gaze from, from the cross to something that would be far more dangerous in our own lives. Lord, we pray more for, more for anything, for unity in the spirit. God, and we know that that unity comes by one thing, by focusing our lives on you. God, help us to do that now and always. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.